Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. And this week, I'm really excited about this week. I get to talk to someone that I've wanted to talk to for a very long time, but I wasn't able to because he was in prison. And that's not a good place to talk to people if you don't know them. But what we're going to talk about this week is how to survive prison with Eric King, the recently released anarchist prisoner who spent way too fucking long in a cage. And so we're going to talk about how to survive being in a cage because it's a thing that we should all be aware of, even if we try to avoid it. But first, this podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. And here's a jingle from another show on the network. KiteLine is a weekly 30-minute radio program focusing on issues in the prison system. You'll hear news along with stories from prisoners and former prisoners as well as their loved ones. You'll learn what prison is, how it functions, and how it impacts all of us. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand-to-hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. You can hear us on the Channel Zero Network and find out more at kitelineradio.noblogs.org. Okay, we're back. So, Eric, if you could introduce yourself with your name, which I already said, and your pronouns, and then why you know something about surviving prison. Hello, happy to be here. My name is Eric King. I go by he, he and him. Um, and I spent just about nine, nine and a half years in federal prison after firebombing a congressperson's office in Missouri during the Ferguson uprising. Um, okay, so, which is, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to... It is good when people act on in solidarity. Yeah. I'll just I'll just say that. Uh, so, I think a lot of people are nervous around. I mean, I'll say uh, I'm nervous around incarceration. Right? I've only spent two nights total in lockup, and I've never been in general population. And I think it's like kind of a, a black box. It's sort of a mystery. And I was wondering if you had advice for people who whether they're like currently facing incarceration or whether they're making decisions based on their ethics that put them at risk of incarceration. I'm wondering if you have like, I know it's a big topic, but like, how do you get ready to go to jail? (laughs) So I wasn't ready. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, I got picked up on the streets. Just the, the cops rolled up on me with their machine guns and everything like that. And so I wasn't ready one bit. I didn't have a support team ready. I didn't have funds ready. Um, and honestly, I even though I had read books and I watched documentaries, I didn't know how to behave in prison at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I showed up, I was I I got myself in a lot of trouble with both other prisoners and and guards because I was doing a lot of reckless shit. Um, and so if I had to tell people to get ready. My first advice would be like to understand where you're at. Like you're in a county jail, most likely. Okay. And depending on what state you're in, like that's going to depend on like the politics of that jail. And there's ways to survive in county jails and there's ways to survive in low security prison, medium security prison, maximum security. Um, And like you can get yourself ready for that stuff. You can be ready. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of prisons were you in? So I was at a uh, 
I started off in a federal pretrial place. It was a uh, it was one ran by CCA, which mm-hmm. was just a nightmare because mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the private companies. And then I'm one of the few people ever in the feds to have gone to a low, a medium, a USP, and the Supermax, the ADX. <laughs> you got, so you got I worked my way up. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I did all all four custody levels. Uh-huh. And so I've I've seen like how the survival, like how you have to move and behave. It's a hundred percent different in each one of those. Okay. So it takes time to learn too. Like it's it's weird. So what are some of those ways? Like like what are some examples of like how you behaved incorrectly when you first found yourself sure. in lockup? So when I first got to CCA, I'm on full insurrectionist anarchist time mm-hmm. and I'm refusing to play by the politics of that jail. Mm-hmm. And that meant that like I sat and ate with the black bros. Yeah. I I let the the gay and trans people, I always worked out with them. You can come work out with me. Yeah. Um I watched the the Mexican TV when the Serenos and the Pisces are watching uh university they're like the Spanish channels. Yeah. I sat with them. And those are things that I got away with because I can fight. If I if I wasn't ready to throw hands, like I would have got destroyed. And so yeah. I had a bunch of fights. I I've I fought all the time. Yeah. And then eventually like, the other races talk to me and they're like, bro, look, you're causing problems for all of us. Yeah. Like your behavior, like it's cool. We appreciate the solidarity. We saw you on the news, like respect, but you're going to get us in a race war because we're letting you do things that like other people aren't allowed. So you got to right. cut that shit out. Right. Um. So I was still able to gamble with other races and I was still able to run my boxing class. And so mm-hmm. like, the LGBT people could always were still involved in the boxing class because that's from every race. Mm-hmm. But like once that was over, I wasn't I couldn't sit with the the black dudes anymore. I couldn't watch the Spanish channel anymore. Just simple shit like that that people in prison would say, like, duh. Right. Duh, you idiot. Right. But like I didn't I didn't get that early on. That makes sense to me. One of the first friends of mine that I talked to about uh, dealing with jail so a white anarchist who spent a bunch of time in jail about a year or something i guess prison more than jail and um one of and he had he, he tells me these stories about how you know he did the exact same thing he went and he sat with he was like very consciously he's like i'm not hanging out with the white supremacists you know right and so he was like all right i'm gonna go sit with black folks and you know and he grew up uh, in a primarily black neighborhood and and same Eventually, he and eventually he threw this like birthday party that had everyone come together. But then immediately afterwards, someone tried to kill him. (laughs) And it was because they were like, they were like, well, we think you're trying to unite everyone like under you. You know, we think you're trying to like form this like, you know, yeah. What gang are you trying to form? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and he ended up being put in solitary, like oh. ostensibly for his own protection. And you know, and I think he spent the rest of his time in prison in solitary as a result of that. And that was like a okay. So, but that brings up a, a question that I think that a lot of listeners would have, especially any white listeners, is then how do you navigate that while still not joining a Nazi gang and yeah. while um indicating solidarity with people of other races without 
even if you're like not trying to disrupt the uh, the structure of what's happening inside the jail. Sure. So I the the people listening online can't see me, but I have the word Antifa tattooed on my face. Uh-huh. Like I made it clear. I, I made it clear early on. Like I'm not fucking with these Nazis. Like I don't I don't care about you dudes, and I'm not gonna be your friend. I'm not gonna play like I'm your friend. If you come talking around me with that N-word stuff, that race lover stuff, miss me. We can we can do whatever you want to do, but like I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And so to navigate that, you uh you have to be you have to be willing to fight. Once again, like you have to show them, and this is important for people, and it's important for anyone coming to prison. If you're willing to stand on your beliefs, mm-hmm. you can have those beliefs. What they don't respect in any jail, any prison, any custody level is talk. Okay. So if you if you show up in jail and you're like, uh, trans people are equal, don't be mean to them. But mm-hmm. then you watch them bully a trans person, you're a bitch now. Like your word means nothing. Oh, so interesting. You don't get uh-huh. to have an opinion anymore. Yeah. But if instead, like at Florence Medium, for example, uh, mm-hmm. we had a person in there named Crazy Pete. Mm-hmm. That's what that was what she what she chose to go by. Right. And some of the wannabe tough guys tried bulldogging her and saying, like, oh, you can't What's be in this pod. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh no, it's tried okay. pr- they tried pressing use, her. They tried use that <laughs> slang, but you're gonna have to explain it to me in the okay. audience too. Yeah. So they uh their their agenda was to force her out of the unit or okay. to rob her. One of the okay. two. And I said no. Absolutely not. You're not yeah. doing this. Uh, my wife and I had already raised money to essentially buy a gay guy out of debt so they wouldn't be sold by the by some of the other races. Uh-huh. And so people already knew, like, this is what EK is standing on. Right. Um, and so when it came time for the crazy Pete shit, like, you just show up. And you show up with your weapons. And you show up with your hands. And you stand on it. And you say, this is not happening. Yeah. You, we can do whatever you guys want to do. Yeah. And when you take that stand and they know you're serious, it def- it can defuse the entire situation. Um, but if I had just spoke from my little chair, no, don't do it. Be nice. Right. Pete would have got fucked up and I would have got fucked up. Right. So that's, that's the first, like, I don't want to make prison seem like it's only violence. Right. But the first way to get people to understand, like, what you're about is to show them what you're about. Right. And sometimes that means like just telling like some racist dude next to you, like, man, cut that shit out. Yeah. Cut it out. I'm not trying to hear that shit. Yeah. Uh, or like, I would not let people say the F word around me for like mm-hmm. the homosexual slur. Yeah. You couldn't say it around me. If you said it around me, I'm calling you out or we're fighting. Yeah. Um, and that was like, these are stances I took. And sometimes it put me in harm's way. Like sometimes I had to pay the price for that for real. Like, right. But a lot of times it just let me live as me as like, oh, he's that's Eric. He's fucking weird. But, you know, he's not a punk. He's not a lame. Right. That sort of stuff. If that makes sense. No, that that does make sense. The whole kind of like. So you need to basically not be weak. (laughs) You need to like you need to like. So, so my, okay. So there's, it's not even about, it's not even about winning the fights either. Just so you know, right. it's not about like being tough. Right. It's just about being brave more than anything. Okay. Okay. 
You have but, to show up on your on what you believe in, not other people's, but what you believe in. How much does, for example, being anti-fascist alienate you from the rest of the white population? Like, are you like uh, eating alone as a result? Like, or like, <laughs> no, you can't eat alone. There's no. So, like okay. in the feds, with mm-hmm. if people go to federal prison, like people very likely could catch RICO charges in the next couple of years. Like it happens, right? Um, like that dude who just bombed the abortion clinic in Wisconsin, he's going to the feds. Okay. Or not the abortion clinic, the anti-abortion clinic. Oh yeah. Yeah. That uh, makes, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right. Well, whatever. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that dude stood on pro, uh, pro, pro women's rights stuff. Right. Um, and so let's, I'm going to pretend like he's white. So uh-huh. he's going to go to the feds and he has to eat with the white guys. You either sit in with the white guys or you're gonna get fucked off the yard. Right. And that means that means beat up, put in PC and shipped to somewhere else. Okay. What's PC? So PC means protective custody. And okay. you can go in there if you're if you ask to or if they understand that you're going to get hurt. Oh, okay. So this is what my friend was put in. Yeah, like your friend, like yeah. they most likely understood this dude's about to get hurt. Yeah. Let's get him out of there. Okay. Um, and so you're gonna sit with the white guys. And right. most likely, like, the gang dudes will have, like, their own little – because the whites will have their own separate tables. They'll have, like, five or six tables. Okay. And that's where you eat. Uh, and in the federal system, you eat and sit with your state, like, where what you represent. So I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh-huh. I sat at the Missouri table, and it was us, Kansas, Oklahoma, and sometimes Chicago. It was like a Midwest table, basically. Yeah. And then so in the gang guys – yeah, might as well. So the gang bros, they would sit like they'd have their like that's the sack section or that's the ABT section. Okay. Um, sack is Soldiers of Aryan Culture. ABT is Aryan Brotherhood Texas. Okay. Um, and so I don't have to fuck with those guys at all. I don't have yeah. to associate with you. But like, if they see me doing something they don't like, like for I taught the yoga class at Florence, and uh-huh. I allowed all racist and sexualities. You're you're coming right. to this this yoga class, right? And so sometimes some of the some of the dudes would come to me and be like, "Hey, man, why do you got this n word yeah. in your class, or why do you got this gay dude in your class?" And then you just have to tell them, like, "You're not my fucking boss. Get out of my face." Right. Like I don't answer to you. I'm not in your gang. Right. Um. And so sometimes they'd go to your rep. Each car has a rep. Uh, What's a car? Okay. Yeah. My bad. Um, no, it's okay. No, I mean, so that's I, the, yeah, I'm just going to stand so like in for the audience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Missouri. So that's called the Missouri car. It's like our group. Okay. You're in that car. Okay. Um, Which is separate you're in from that a car. gang. Yeah. Because uh-huh. we're not trying to make money. Uh, okay. So like if someone attacked a member of my car mm-hmm. unprovoked, like without us knowing about it, I could then be called to have to go and retaliate against that person. Right. Even though it's not a gang, right. you still assaulted our group. And so right. it's a group without a money-making scheme. Right. Okay. Um, and so I, if that gang had a problem with me, they would then have to go to the head of my car, someone who had a lot of respect, been down for a minute, and tell them, like, we want EK to shape up or we want EK off the yard. Right. And my car would then decide to either talk to me, fuck me up, or tell the gang to kick rocks, like leave us alone. Right. And so depending on how that went, depends on how far it goes. Right. But I never got fucked off a yard. So. Yeah. 
So it worked, but it was a it was a tricky yeah. situation to do. It's so tricky because the one wrong move, and this is what I hope anyone going to prison in the future always understands. Yeah, you have to always be respectful, even if you hate someone. Yeah. So if somebody with a swastika on his face comes up and tells me to do something, I can't say like "fuck you, Nazi bitch," oh, right? Nazi jerk. Uh, That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. I can't say that to them. I will get stabbed. Yeah. And not hypothetically, like literally. Yeah. So I have to say to them like, "Hey, man, I understand you have your beliefs. I get that, but I'm doing me right now, and like I'd appreciate if you just let me do my time." Stuff yeah. like that. That's how you have to talk until it's done talking. Okay. And is that kind of how you would like... Okay, another anecdote that's not mine. Another one of my friends who uh, spent, I don't know, about half a year in, in prison for a while. Um, and his, he told me that his his cellmate was the tattooist for the Nazi gang in the, in that the jail. Sucks. That yeah. sucks. Yeah. And, uh, and so the Nazi sucks. kept being like, hey, you got to join us. And my friend kept being like, the way that my friend handled this, and I'm curious your take on this. Basically, it's he tricky. was like, "He was like, no, I can't. I'm already in a gang. I'm an anarchist." Oh. And and it and then the the cellmate didn't really buy it until there was a noise demo outside for okay. my friend. And so then there's all these people with circle A's and fireworks outside. And so now then the cellmate clout. was just like, "Yeah." And so now the cellmate's like, "Oh, I get it." You're already in a gang. They just, they're, it's fine. And then they like stopped trying to recruit him at that point. And they were able to live in peace, which is an awkward, it seems like the things that we assume about how to interact with people and how to carry ourselves on the outside don't relate to how we have to do it on the inside. Is that kind of? Hell, hell no, they don't. <laughs> yeah. They don't. Yeah. Um, but okay. so like, your friend's situation worked because it was a jail. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. Like in a jail, like jails are so different than prison. Okay. Because it's it's short term. Right. Um, all custody levels are mixed in there. Right. And there's not going to be as much racial, like the dynamics aren't as aggressive because you're all from the same place. You're all from Kansas City right. or New York or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so they it's not split up like that. So if I was in a jail and some dude told me to join his gang, yeah, I'd probably laugh in his face. Yeah. Like unless he was seriously dangerous, like your friend did the right thing, just yeah, and just got the attention to look how I have this over here. Yeah. Because apparently that dude, that gang dude thought like that's what he respected. He respected someone that was that stood on something. Basically, you already stand for something. Right. Um, but also like if you if you go to a lower custody federal prison, like let's say you mm-hmm. go to a low. I started at low. Okay. There's no there's no gang members there, no gang is gonna recruit you there. Right. Those dudes, they can't do anything there. Uh so like that the you don't have to worry about that in a lower custody level. If some dude tried pressing you at a at a federal low, you could laugh right in their face. Right. Yeah, you soft motherfucker, get away from me. Because it's not it the lows are not run by gangs as much. Is that the or at all? No, yeah, they're run by sex offenders. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> Low security federal prisons, that's where they put the the vast the nonviolent sex offenders. The uh-huh. first time first time nonviolent offenders. Like I started low. I'm a first time offender with a college education. I'm mm-hmm. not a threat to them. So even though I have this charge, they don't care. I right. go to the low. Um and so that's where like white collar people, they go to lows. Right. Um big time rats and informants. Mm-hmm. Go to Lowe's. Okay. So 
if you see a gang member there trying to push that line or some racial dude trying to push that line with you and push that line means trying to force his agenda on you, Mm -hmm. you can basically tell him like, if you want to do that shit, go pop yourself up to a higher custody level. Right. Like that's where, if that's where you want to be, go be there. But I like walking outside and playing tennis. So leave me alone. Right. Okay. But custody levels are sweet. Okay, so then this brings up the question because it seems like one of the other things that one would uh, hope to not do is have what happened to you happen where you got escalated up. It was crazy. I've never seen nothing like it since I've been in. Was it your behavior or was it some decisions that they made around your politics or like what what caused you to end up escalated? And this is something that all activists and radicals, especially white ones, need to worry Mm -hmm. about. Because like honestly, like the white guards don't really bother – the other races about their politics. They just assume you have bad politics in their eyes. Right. But so for white guys, they see you as a race traitor. Okay. And so when I got to Inglewood, I was doing fine, but the cops there would harass me relentlessly. Mm -hmm. So I'd get called to SIS almost on a daily basis. SIS is like the FBI inside the prison system, uh, special investigative services. Okay. And so they had, if you're an activist or you have one of our charges, they have to read and approve your mail. They have to live listen to your phone calls. Like they make mm-hmm. it a burden. Yeah. And so these pigs would call me to their office every other day. Like, oh, what do you mean in this email? What do you mean in this email? Mm-hmm. And then like I would have my books confiscated on a seemingly weekly basis. They would just come to my cell, take all my literature, all my writing materials, keep them for a week until until I filed to region. And mm-hmm. then they'd give them back. Um. And so I got bumped up in custody level because one day I was in the, I had a beef with these guards at visiting because they kept harassing my kids. They kept trying to sit my kids by the sex offenders. Oh God. Um, uh-huh. And it was like, just stop it. Like, leave us alone. I don't bother you. Yeah. Um. And so well, I got an argument with one of them in the bathroom and you're not going to believe me when I tell you this, but this uh-huh. officer had the goal to tell me he was going to have his little boys beat up my daughters in their school. Damn. And I reported it right then. I, I had one of the other guards go call a lieutenant. The lieutenant mm-hmm. removed that guard mm-hmm. from visiting. Well, the next day, I had gone to psych because I was so angry with being in prison. And they had told me, like, write, write down your anger in a poem. Write it down in writing form. Right. So I did. And I mailed it to my wife. Well, SIS takes that letter and accuses me of threatening staff. All right. Yep. So then they chained me up and that day drive me to Florence Medium and put me right in the shoe. That day. Yeah. And shoe is solitary. That's one I do know. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, special housing unit is what they try to try to call it in Orwellian speak. Yeah. Nothing special about it. Yeah. Well, it's it's certainly not normal to spend all your time alone. <laughs> all right, and, fair enough. And not like in a fun hermit way where like you're Thoreau and your mom brings you your lunch. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. So then, then I just kept progressively like, I don't mm-hmm. know if you ha- know what happened to me at Florence Medium to where my politics pissed off the loot because I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I, I'm, you should tell the story. I've, I've read a version of it, but you should okay. tell me and the audience so in as Florence much as Medium, what is safe for you to tell. Yeah. I was, uh, I was politically active as mm-hmm. hell in Florence Medium. Um, like I told you, I like, protect, like riding with crazy Pete, doing my yoga class. Right. Uh, and I made, I had good friends there. There's people that accepted me there for, for me. Right. Um, I had tons of fights with the, with the bigots, but that, mm-hmm. that's just what happens. But so the staff there hated me. I would write articles mm-hmm. calling them out. I would 
I would put in call-in campaigns about their how they treated vegan meals, how they treated the Muslims, mm-hmm. how they treated the gay the gay folks. So I beef with them all the time. And then one day, I uh, and a lieutenant got beat up, and I sent my wife an email laughing about it. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, because I know they have to read which my email, a, so I was mocking yeah, which is a bad idea. But I understand. Stupid. Why, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go to prison, don't do this. Don't instigate them. They will yeah. give you what you want. Yeah, they'll show you how real they are. Yeah. Um. So they call me in the lieutenant's office. Dude throws his big hissy fit. Starts talking, calling me a terrorist and all sorts of crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I laugh in his face because it's so mm-hmm. uncomfortable. He pushes yeah. me, punches me, and I dog walk him. Uh, dog walking means it means you beat someone's ass. All right. Um, so after I got punched twice by this cat, I dog walk him. Mm-hmm. And then the guards proceed to, you know, beat me half to death, strangle me, choke me, mm-hmm. and then put me in four-point restraints for seven hours. And those are when you Jesus. are handcuffed on a steel bed, stretched as far as your body can go, left arm at this corner, right arm at that corner, your legs spread doing the same thing, and they leave you there. I was Jesus. there mostly naked, sometimes in my underwear. Mm-hmm. Um and sometimes they like the captain would come in and bring in a plastic shield, like a riot shield, mm-hmm. and strangle me. He'd put it over my face and push on it. So they oh choke you. Uh-huh. And other times he'd come in and just put his hand over my mouth and yeah. tell me, like, we're gonna get you fucked up. We're gonna yeah. rape you. We're gonna get you raped. Yeah. You wanna be a tough guy? Yeah. So that's what got me moved up to the USP system from Florence. Okay. Was uh that's how I went from medium to high. And then when I they prosecuted me for that. They said I assaulted him. Right. So I had to, I took it to trial. I refused to take a plea deal. I took it to trial. And yeah. when I won, that's yeah. when they moved me up to the Supermax to ADX where El Chapo is and the Unabomber so and all those guys. Punish that I mean, all of them were just punishment, but that one was like extra punishment. You got found innocent of assaulting a guard, so they put you in Supermax. Is that pretty much so I don't want to minimize, but like mm-hmm. you know what it, you we just talked about noise demos. Yeah. A second ago, your friend, like you, you know what yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, when I was pre-trial, they held me in the Inglewood shoe for two and a half years, and mm-hmm. I was there. And this will happen to other activists if you use your voice. They yeah. took away my mail, my phone, my email, and my visits. I had no yeah. communication. I could only yeah. write my wife. And people, I don't know, I don't know these people, but they did a noise demo on New Year's for me one year, and mm-hmm. they recorded like it was on live stream. Mm-hmm. So they had banners and bullhorns and fireworks. Yeah. And one of them, I think, busted up a cop car. All right. Uh, and so they accused me of organizing an Antifa riot. And so I got a rioting shot. That's a, one right. of the most serious shots you can get. Yeah. Even and, though it happened outside the jail and you had no And I had nothing them. to do with it. Yeah. Um. So that noise demo was listed on my ADX referral. You have to have a, a referral mm-hmm. and it has to you have to have an interview and under the thing, it said, like, Mr. King planned and organized an Antifa protest and Antifa threats against staff. Uh-huh. So that's what happened, like, when Trump became president. <laughs> yeah. Things got really ugly for uh, anti-fascists. Yeah. Okay, well, God, that brings up so many questions. Like, So one of them is, like... Be I careful mean, noise demos. Yeah, exactly. I, that's kind of my question, is, like, should people... There's probably not a right answer, but it's, like, when do we have noise demos. Like when is it useful to a prisoner and when is it uh, interfere with a prisoner's ability to get by in jail? So before this happened, mm-hmm. if you would have asked me, EK, do you want a noise demo and people to show up at a prison and, and go crazy for you? My answer would have mm-hmm. been enthusiastically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because 
especially at a jail too, like jails are different. Um, always they do not have the same, it's not the same. Right. So visibility can keep people alive. That's something that supporters need to know. Like you letting a jail know that like, I see what you're doing to my loved one, my friend, my comrade, Mm -hmm. we're watching you. We're recording you. Yeah. That helps. Like, I'm not kidding. That can save someone's life. Yeah. Um, at a federal prison, um, I wouldn't recommend doing noise demos at federal prisons anymore. Honestly, okay. uh, I don't know. I don't know the. I just think there's better ways to support federal prisoners. Going, this is going to sound, you know, stupid and anti-anarchist, but like we can pressure them using uh, administrators, using politicians, using these yeah. people at higher institutions, higher levels mm-hmm. of government. Because like Cory Cory uh, Cory Bush. Like they were calling the bureau for me, the okay. congressperson from Ferguson. Yeah, uh, different congresspeople from Denver were calling for me, saying like, "Why are you guys doing this to this dude? Like, yeah. what is going on?" So, I mean, so been... go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say like, we can put pressure without mm-hmm. putting boots on our own necks. No, that makes sense to me, and I think that uh, I think that we do well when we stay tied into the larger movements that we're part of, and when we like mm. when we show when we ask for solidarity from groups that we've been showing solidarity with, you know, like, like, because like, like you were in jail for a solidarity action. And so then folks calling and being like, well, what the hell are you doing to him? It makes sense to me, you know? Yeah. And it, it um, worked. Like that's the only yeah. thing that's worked for me. Yeah. Well, did you spend the rest of your time in maximum at that point? So after doing the two and a half years in the shoe for the pretrial, mm-hmm. they, uh, they sent me, to some other prisons to do my ADX referral Mm -hmm. because it's a big like legal referral process. And then when I finally got accepted and approved, they flew me right back to Colorado. So I went from Virginia all the way back to Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I spent the last year and five months at the Supermax and ADX. Yeah. Okay. They did not like me there. Yeah. And those cops, (laughs) Nazis. They are Nazis. If you look on their Facebook pages, they are full throttle, uh, white power, you know, patriot. We're patriots. They're, they're crybaby like Nazis. Yeah. It is stunning what they're about. That doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Um, all right. How do you, you spent two and a half years in solitary. I spent seven Um, and a half years in solitary. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Two and a half just on this pretrial. Yeah. It was a part of a five and a half year stretch. So obviously that is a very different thing to survive than general population. Yes. Um, it's hard. How, how do you do it? I, I obviously, since I spent one night alone in jail, I obviously understand it completely because I did one night. But you did you seven and a half years. So you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, how... How'd you I do can it? break it down. Yeah. So I didn't realize when I first came to jail, like when I was in the county, like the pretrial the first time, I did mm-hmm. nine and a half months straight because I fucked up a lieutenant. Um, okay. I thought it was like serving the revolution. I thought yeah. it was like being a good anarchist. Yeah. And so once again, shoe and county jail is different. Like anyone can survive that. You get visits, you get phone calls, you get food, you get sometimes even TV and tablet. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the feds or probably the state too, it's different. And when you do long stretches, um, for me, it came in waves where like, I'd be doing really good for like 
three months. I'd be working out every day. I have a routine. You have to have mm-hmm. a routine. Do mm-hmm. your burpees. Do your push-ups. Do your abs and calisthenics and yoga. Um, make it set a time where I'm going to write letters from this time to this time. Mm-hmm. Like make it like if you make it a routine, it becomes an important part of your day. And then when you finish doing it, you feel like you accomplished something. Now your day wasn't worthless. Right. Uh, now you have purpose to your day. But also like for me, like, I'm not going to lie. I went through a lot of depression, like depressive periods. Yeah. And when that happens, you really have to check in with yourself and you have to be vulnerable with the people that love you. Yeah. If like my wife would write me sometimes and I'd write her some bullshit letter and she'd have to call me out being like, dude, like you're hurting and you're not talking about it and it's not helping. Yeah. We, uh-huh. Let us be there for you. Yeah. And when I was finally able to do that, like Josh Davidson, the guy that I wrote Rattling the Cages with, uh, mm-hmm. I met him in the shoe okay. uh, right after this happened. And because I was able to uh, keep myself vulnerable and open as, like, as a human, I was then able to develop a real relationship with him and then work on a project. We developed that whole book from the shoe because I I was able to do it and he cared enough to, to work with me. Okay, but wait, how are you communicating in the shoe? Is I it like, the, like, are you like writing on little notes and sending them down the, yeah, how do you do it? Kind of. So when I, okay. when I got my, if you're just normally, like, let's say you stab someone and you're in the shoe or you fuck mm-hmm. someone up and you're in the shoe, you still can write letters. You get a pad of paper, you get pens, you get stamps, mm-hmm. you have to buy them, but you get it. When I was on my mail ban, I would have to pay the guys in the other cells. So mm-hmm. I would shoot a kite to some bro three cells down. Mm-hmm. Which is and, where you send a like a paper football with a note on it, basically, or yeah. like what's a okay? Yeah, we would make a we would make a rope like tearing up sheets and or like mm-hmm. the elastic band in your underwear and tying mm-hmm. tying a rope, and then I would shoot it. I would flick it or throw it against the wall so it tried to bounce in front of the cell, mm-hmm. and then he would shoot out his like throw it under his door cell and pull it. I like, try to connect with mine and pull it in, mm-hmm. and when. He would do, it would be like, I'd be asking like, Hey, I've got this letter. I'll give you five bucks if you write it and send it. Mm-hmm. So then that guy would have to rewrite the letter <laughs> in his own handwriting yeah. and then send it out to Josh. Okay. Um, and so oh, Josh that wasn't ha- in the shoe with you. I see. No, Josh is, Josh is a free world supporter. I see. I thought you were saying you, you met him in the shoe. I thought you meant, okay. No, oh yeah. no, my bad. Josh is a no, member no, of no. the certain days collective and he wrote me. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. My bad, I misunderstood the whole question. No, no, but I mean, this is still very useful. All of this is very useful. So, so for the most part of our friendship, like we were able to write normally, but for that two and a half years, I was paying creeps to mail letters for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, okay. Um, all right, I have so many more questions. How, you know, you, you said that you spent a lot of time like standing up for LGBT folks in, in prison, right? It was um, the main priority of my life. And... So what did you, from being friends with folks, how did they get by or what it, what was it like for them? I assume it was different at different levels and things like that. But like, is it, where it did is they really get, tricky. yeah, did they get outed ahead of time? Like, Tough. you know, you're out, you're yeah. out. Uh, when you're in a low security mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, for LGBT people, um, mm-hmm. you are, you're not a victim at low securities from other prisoners. Okay. You might be from your own car because, like, they have their own little section, right? Um, and so a lot of oh, okay, these so dudes, there'd be an LGBT car, basically. Yeah, it yeah. might not be okay. organized like that, but 
mm-hmm. they have a they have a structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they I don't want to say they run those prisons, but like they control the kitchen and mm-hmm. rec and like the different jobs. And so mm-hmm. their problem is staff, especially for okay. trans prisoners. Yeah. Because staff and medical treat these people so bad. Yeah. Even at low securities where like there's no need, there's no threat. Yeah. Like, but so I feel like a lot of them, a lot of the ones I met were getting black and pink and stuff like that. I still don't feel as if they were supported properly, but maybe mm-hmm. they were. Maybe I just interpreted it that way. Um, but their main problem is staff. They're not gonna get beat up by other prisoners out of low security unless mm-hmm. it's a personal thing. It's not gonna be because of because of who you are. Right. Um, but like I've seen people get denied medication, denied their shots, mm-hmm. uh, denied access to the doctor. Um, Marius is a is a rare example of someone who was able to like put enough pressure to force the change. Yeah. Uh, but most people do not have like that sort of visibility or that yeah. sort of courage to constantly fight. Like it right. wears on you, you know? I mean, right. you know. So at a medium, at most mediums, that's where you're going to, you can have problems. Especially okay. if it's an active yard, like a gang, an active gang yard. Because mm-hmm. uh, like, let's say you're at a medium on the East Coast. Let's say you're in New York and you fuck up and you go to Otisville or some medium out there. Mm-hmm. You're going to have like a safe place just for, just for queer folks. People on okay. the, people that are gay or trans. And they're going to be, you're going to be isolated basically, but you can still live and exist. You just have to exist within your own friends. Mm-hmm. The further West coast you get and the further South you get, the more bigoted it becomes. Oh, interesting. And, okay. And so like in the yard, let's say Florence medium, there was one table to where gay people were allowed to sit and eat. That's it. Mm-hmm. If that table's full, you don't eat. You're not going to sit with anyone else because you will yeah. get hurt. Yeah. Um, if you, if you were able to get a cell, if someone else needed it, they were going to fight you or just kick you out. Get That's why cell. I fought so hard for, yeah. Like, let's say you're in my unit. I was in OA mm-hmm. and there's a gay person in cell 305. It's a mm-hmm. two man cell, but then off the bus, like a new transport bus comes in mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a, a decently respected dude from California and he gets put in the unit. Mm-hmm. Well, he's taking that cell. You're not going to keep a good cell from this guy. Okay, I see. And so then so, the gay folks will be the first kicked out of this given cell. Yeah, and your options will be check in, which is go to PC, go say you need help, mm-hmm. fight me, which mm-hmm. would is a death sentence, mm-hmm. or uh, go tell staff that you no longer have a house and you need to get moved to a different unit. Yeah. Because um, p- prisoners still have a lot of power in prison, and at the bottom of that totem pole is is gay people and trans people. Okay. Uh, and then at a USP, you're not gay and you're not trans. You will be murdered. Yeah. Okay. If they send, if they, if you're listening to this and you're gay and trans or trans, and they send you to a penitentiary, you're checking in right away. You tell SIS that you cannot be. I, I don't care if it's considered snitching. I don't care if it's considered ratting. Because if you mm-hmm. go to that yard, mm-hmm. you will get killed or, or sold. Why would it be snitching or ratting to tell yourself as? Are you saying go and be like, they're gonna murder me? No, no, you don't even have – so in prison culture in the feds, it's mm-hmm. so goddamn stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, checking in. Checking in is where you go tell staff you're in danger and you need help. Mm-hmm. If you do that, you are now considered a snitch. Even if you don't say who's going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And so even if staff says to you – because like let's say you get off the bus and you have to interview before you go to the yard. 
Mm -hmm. And staff will ask you, do you identify as gay or trans? And if you say yes, even if they offer to put you in PC, which they won't because they want Mm -hmm. to see you hurt. um, But even if they do and you accept, you are then now considered a snitch or a check-in. Just literally for being in PC, even though you haven't even met anyone yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so you have to- So then you have to stay in in PC forever while you're there because you're now known as a snitch? And the feds, they have PC yards. They're called dropout yards. And so those like, let's say you're a sex offender, but you raped eight kids. You were a violent sex offender. Mm -hmm. You will go to a dropout yard for violent sex offenders like Tucson USP, uh, Terre Haute USP, Mm -hmm. and uh, Coleman 2, where Whitey Bolger was at. And so if you're a gay or trans person who has been at a USP yard and you couldn't walk there, obviously – they will either drop your custody after a certain period of time, usually a year of sitting in the shoe. Mm-hmm. They'll drop your custody and send you to a, a safe medium or okay. they'll send you to a dropout penitentiary. But you will sit in the shoe for a long time uh, and they will put people in there to try to scare you. They'll put rats in there to snitch on you. They will mm-hmm. put uh, straight prisoners in there because that straight prisoner, if he is put in a cell with a gay person – Mm-hmm. If he doesn't attack that gay person, he's now considered gay. All right. And the other white guys will attack him. All right. Yeah. It is so disgusting and stupid. And staff sets that up. Like, that's yeah. intentional. Yeah. I mean, that's like one of the things that – you ever hear about the whole, like, um, how the whole alpha wolf thing is a lie? You ever heard this? I never heard that it was a lie, but I'm very interested, and I trust your okay, experience so that- on this. I don't have the I don't have the guy's name in front of me. The guy who developed the concept of the alpha wolf, right? The alpha male of the wolf pack that dominates everyone else or whatever, right? Um, he quickly learned. He wrote a whole book about it, and then he was like, "Oh, I was wrong. That's only true of wolves in captivity. Wolves in the oh. wild." Yeah. So he has spent the wolves in the wild don't have they have dom- dominance games, but it's almost entirely the oldest male in the family, right? And they're, they're family units instead. Um, but then if you put them in captivity, you start getting aggressive dominance and, and all this violence. And wolf packs do fight each other over territory and stuff like that. It's not like a utopian thing. But he spent the rest of his career running around being like, hey, I was wrong. Alpha wolf thing, not a thing. But instead, everyone's taken it and run with this. And you have all of these like fucking alpha male idiots we're running around being like, I'm an alpha male. And it's funny to me because every time someone says I'm an alpha male, what I hear is you are in captivity, right? Um, oh. Because, and I and, and I would argue you can like make arguments about like civilization being a form of captivity and general, right? Here we go, right? here we go. <laughs> um, but so prison to me from, from the outside seems like a clear encapsulation where it doesn't reveal human nature. It reveals what humans in captivity do which is entirely separate from what humans outside of captivity do in the same way that it's true with wolves. That's my like general takeaway. And it, the thing that you're describing about prison, really all of these like wild dominance games and things like that seem like the whole thing is a wild dominance game. (laughs) Yeah. How do you, Hmm. Okay. So it seems like in low, you would have an easier time, just kind of 
keeping your head down and staying out of just fucking do what there's like the doing your own time or whatever. In low right? custody, like, you can fly under the radar and do whatever you want. Yeah. I'm not, it's, you're still prison. You can still get in trouble. There's still fights. There's still mm-hmm. uh, restrictions. But if you're going to be in prison and you're an activist, yeah. you won't be in a camp. You can't go to a camp. So if you're mm-hmm. going to be in prison as an activist, you want to be in a low. I guess camp the is a step lower than than low. Yeah, camps don't have like fences on them. Like you can go out into the world oh, wow, and stuff okay. like that. It's basically like an aggressive halfway house. I um I once the first political prisoner I ever wrote was a Catholic worker woman named Helen Woodson who had like a I love Helen. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and she told me about how she was like in a in a low and she didn't feel like it was right for her because she, nothing was keeping her from walking out. So she kept just like walking out of jail, you know, so that she could go like do commit more crimes in the name of like Christ or whatever. Yeah. I think she's great. I'm not trying to talk shit. And no, those Catholic um, prisoners are hilarious. Yeah, no. And it's really interesting. In way. Um, okay. So actually that ties into like, how does, um like how does being a political prisoner impact how you are treated by other prisoners and then also how would someone like a prisoner of conscience, like, like someone who was like super Catholic workery, someone who was like, I'm a pacifist and I'm 60 or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. like how would, I assume everyone's going to have a slightly different experience based on, okay. And to tie into it, I wonder whether older prisoners are given less shit. No. Um, okay. And then I wonder whether, I've I've heard from a lot of people that like their experience of going in and already being like a tattooed person who's like lived on the street some or whatever, like is like wildly impactful. But like how different is it if someone comes in and is like like how does someone who's just like I'm a twenty three year old activist who's out of college, I'm from the middle class, I'm white, I'm not tattooed, et cetera, et cetera, like how do they handle it? Um and yeah. then also how do like prisoners of conscience handle it? Sorry, that's a big question. So I'm going to talk about the uh, first, like, let's say you're just some college kid and you, you get picked, let's say a Palestine protest and you get picked up and you catch a year, you broke a cop's window, you catch a year. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to adapt. Like most likely people aren't going to press. You're not going to have like a violent experience with such a year, like with such a short amount of time, Mm -hmm. but you need to, how do I say this? I want to say this in a way that doesn't sound. (laughs) Yeah, like kind of you you need to understand that and this is where I failed, you are no longer on the streets. Like what you okay. felt about how you should hold yourself out there doesn't mm-hmm. apply. Like you need to without jeopardizing your ethics as much as possible, mm-hmm. adapt to the world around you. Mm-hmm. Like if I lived with apes in the wild and I was still trying to talk on my phone, like it's not how it works. Like you have to adapt to them. Right. Um and I'm not, oh my God, I'm not calling prisoners apes, but like, you understand what I'm saying? No, we were uh, using, we were using wolves and shit like that. Right, earlier. right, right. Like, no, okay. we're not. Yeah. <laughs> so like that person needs to understand that this is where you're at and you are around people that are not going to share your socioeconomic background. Most likely mm-hmm. there's going to be lots of different p- races, lots of different perspectives. Most likely people are not going to agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have to like, I don't view the role of the political prisoner, especially a short timer as mm-hmm. a recruitment specialist. Like if right. anything, use your time there and whatever perspective you have to learn, like get their right. stories, figure out how you can yeah. help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for prisoners of conscience, like 
most, those those people almost always go to lower custodies unless you're like Dan Bergeron or whatever his name was in the 70s or 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those dudes got sent to USP Lee and one of his friends, I think, got violently assaulted uh, yeah. because that, that consciousness shit at the higher custody levels is dead. You, yeah, okay. You do what you're, if you need to go put in violent work, if they tell you to do it, you do it or you get destroyed. Right. So there's no there's no consciousness at that point. But right. if you're at a lower medium and you're there for throwing paint on a, a nuclear submarine or something, mm-hmm. there's going to be a Christian car. There's going to be a Muslim right. car. There's going to be people right. that will let you be who you are as long as you're not this pedantic, annoying piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Like if you treat people with respect and like are kind and uh, kind and understanding of them while also sticking up for yourself and not letting yourself be seen as weak, mm-hmm. you can be fine. Like you will do, you will do fine. And the cops will most likely leave you under the radar unless you're trying to organize mm-hmm. um, or unless you're getting crazy support. Uh, so it's all about, you know, don't, don't let yourself be a victim and don't let yourself be an asshole. And I failed. There's okay. times I failed at both those things. <laughs> yeah i, I mean there's no perfect you know um, I, I had a tough learning curve for a while yeah because i was both an asshole and then also like we're prisoners we don't want to fight each other yeah <laughs> well yes we do we hate you you're annoying i talked to one guy once who uh and i i, I it was this was i had this conversation 10 15 years ago i don't remember where he was in jail or how long he did or what level it was where there was he managed to stop a race riot by <laughs> there was like a race riot that was like wow. being planned and he, oh, he planned. like stole enough. Yeah. There was like the gangs were like planning to fight each other. Right. And they were planning okay, to have okay, this okay. big conflict. And so he like stole, he and another guy stole enough stationery to like make a publication about how, in here, the only colors that matter are, and it's the colors of the uniforms. I don't remember. It's like orange right. and blue or something like that. And then he spent the rest of his time in solitary because he got caught <laughs> doing this. Um, but he considered God it completely it. worth it where he was like, well, I, I stopped a race, you know, I stopped a race riot and then went to solitary. Um, right. But I have a feeling this is a, a random exceptional you know, like, or also just a lie. I don't know. I, you know, I don't, I didn't know this guy incredibly well, you know. Where um, was this at? <sighs> my money's on Colorado, but I couldn't promise. Uh, if he's trying to say he stopped a race riot in a prison, mm-hmm. I don't believe him. I don't believe him. Okay. Yeah. I really don't. Or like, cause that's, that can get you killed. And also yeah, who's going to no, listen yeah. to you? No one gives a yeah. shit about you. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm not, not disrespecting to, this person. No, and I'm not trying to advocate people do this. And and I don't it's do like it. Literally, a conversation I had like drunk late at night once. You know, um, I'm telling people so. right now that if you're ever in prison yeah. and you see gangs organizing a race riot, you mind your own fucking business. Yeah. Uh, you don't get involved. Their business is not your business. If they want to fight each other, go ahead. Yeah. If yeah. they want to sell drugs to whoever, that's their business. Yeah. But we don't we don't tell people. You don't tell other prisoners how to live, good or bad. Yeah. yeah. And so that makes sense. if I saw if I saw some people organizing a race riot, I'm buying coffee, I'm buying mm-hmm. stamps, I'm going to the store, man, and I'm getting yeah. ready for the lockdown. Yeah. That's what's happening. I'm staying out of the way. Yeah. 
No, that's that's I put your I, life I, on the line for some other people. You've lost your mind. Yeah. Okay, so my my last question Aww. for now is it's the least the last one I've written down. How did these dynamics, all the stuff we're talking about and all the stuff you witnessed, you know, you you talk about how like you came in kind of um let's say a starry-eyed anarchist, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like and it's like even on the outside I'm like, man, I don't do everything that my conscience tells me to do or I would be in prison. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um and and that's actually almost a problem is that uh, I think a lot of people don't act on their conscience because we don't want to go to prison. But how has this experience, this whole fucking long, crazy shit, and also just specifically the experience of watching all these power dynamics within prison, how has it influenced your anarchism or your philosophical outlook or your spiritual outlook? Or like, how has it influenced you personally about how you perceive the world? Oof. Um, yeah, it's a small know, question. It, not a big deal. Yeah. It came in, and it's not a one, like, at one point in time in my life, like, in my prison bid, I would have had a different answer for you than like mm-hmm. right now. But so like nine years and however many months later and seven of those was in, you know, 24 hour lockdown. Yeah. Um, my anarchism is tougher than ever. Yeah. I believe it. Like, I feel like I've grown. I feel like I became more empathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became more accountable to the people I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw what, like, I saw what mutual aid really is. Um, when I needed help, people would help me. When I wanted to help others, I could put a, like, that dude at Florence, the gay dude, like, we needed to buy him, basically. My yeah. wife got that money in about 22 minutes. Fuck yeah. She put out a request, we need to help somebody. Yeah. And so, like, my job right now, my job at Bread and Roses right now, this came out of mutual aid. They wanted to help me as a person yeah. first, and then it developed into something else. So, prison gave me the... I gave myself the opportunity to grow while in prison because you Mm -hmm. can do the opposite. You can choose to do drugs, fight, rape, stab, get involved Mm -hmm. in politics, uh, become racist, become homophobic, fall Mm -hmm. in line with this bullshit. So prison, I chose to use it as a chance to sharpen these knives of my mind and my heart to be a kinder person. Mm -hmm. So when I came out, I was ready to love, man, or friend. I was ready to dive into sympathy and dive into help yeah because i watched for the last 10 years people do the opposite and try to crush yeah and hurt and take um and so i never want to take from someone again i never want to hurt somebody again but if i can help you if i can do something to make your life just a little bit easier that's what i want because i just spent nine years watching people go out of their way to help me yeah i didn't have shit and i'm not sure i deserve shit but people said I did. And because of that, my life got to be easier. My wife's life got to be a little easier. Um, all due to other people loving me. So that's what like my anarchism right now is built around how can I make someone's life easier without without jeopardizing my ethics? How mm-hmm. can I not be someone else's warden? Yeah. I never want to be someone else's guard or their warden where I say you can't do that, you shouldn't do that, you're bad. You live mm-hmm. wrong. That's not my job. Yeah. Unless you're a fascist, then it is my job and fuck you. <laughs> I hope that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Like I um okay, wait, then then the the actual last question then. Eh? Well, I hope there's 50 more questions. 
Tell me about this book, Rattling the Cages. Uh, just for anyone who's listening, Please. Eric has a book that he is co-editor of called Rattling the Cages that came out in December 2023 from AK Press. And it's, I haven't read it yet. It's sitting on my shelf. It's stories you better from read it. political prisoners. Is that, I mean, like, tell, sell us on this book. Yeah, oh, so, I'm going to read it anyway, but you can tell me it's the worst book ever written. And I'm still going to end up reading it. Um, so this book came about, it was me and Josh Davidson. Josh and I, Josh is a long-term, I told you he started writing me when I was at Leavenworth about uh, six years ago. Mm-hmm. I, was being, I was there in a holdover status in the shoe when this assault first happened. And so Josh started writing me and we we hit it off based off of like our love of political prisoner history, like Sundiata and Kawazi and those Mm-hmm. Like the elders, basically. And when I was a couple of years later, I'm going through just like a really hard time. And like me and Josh were reading different books together about political prisoners in other countries. And like it people like Thomas Manning also died. And like I thought like all his stories, the history this man led died with him. Mm-hmm. We don't get to know what his life was like inside prison. We know what his writings were like and what his paintings were like. Like, what did he feel? What did he experience? What did he think? Like, what were his hopes? Yeah. Um. Because I this when I was going into my empathy stage of like yeah. wanting to. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and so I brought this idea to Josh of like, what if we just interviewed ten elders, like just a handful of our elders? That way we get their story, their history before they die. Yeah. Cause like Thomas Manning, Tommy dying, like really affected, it made me sad. Like it hurt me. Um, even though I never knew him. Um, and so then Josh being Josh turned into like, well, what about instead of 10, we did like 50. What if we did every political prisoner still alive? Uh-huh. I was like, well, that's fucking awesome. Uh, and then we my wife decided, like, she helped us think it out. Like, what if instead of it being a zine, it was a book? Yeah, yeah. And so then from there, like, it came down to, like, I, I wrote a bunch of questions out, like, what would I want to know from uh, Susan or Linda or Laura? Um, mm-hmm. What would I want to know if I got to talk to Maroon? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, or Marius or whoever. And yeah. so I wrote these questions out. And then Josh, God bless him. Like, this dude cares. And so he got to work getting a hold of essentially everybody on earth that's ever been like even step foot into a jail or prison and he put in the time and work to interview him. And then he would mail me back edits and we would talk about it. We'd write questions back and forth to each other. Um, and then Josh hounded AK press relentlessly uh, <laughs> until they finally agreed to, to, to work with us. Uh-huh. And even then, like I'm not taking any work away from Josh. Like he edited it. He found, he did the bibliography. He did everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I asked Sarah Falconer to write an intro. We got, uh, we got, am I really, am I really going to, Angela Davis to write an intro? I almost forgot her name. Jesus. Uh, (laughs) But like people, people cared because the questions were all about not what's the revolutionary spirit inside prison. It's how did your heart feel inside prison? What was your actual life like? Mm -hmm. Cause that's what I was thinking. Like these cop city dudes are going to go into jail um, and like this might, they might want to know like that it hurts, that it makes you sad, yeah. that yeah. it's okay to cry. It's okay to not want to hurt somebody. Yeah. You don't have to do this, this tough, like posturing, basically you can, 
But yeah. if that's who you are, but like you can be hurt too and you can be vulnerable and you can be, you can also be happy. You can make friends. You can get hobbies. You can fall in love with somebody. You can get a partner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as long as you're not hurting someone, uh, and that includes spiritually and like emotionally, there's no wrong way to do prison. Just yeah. don't become a racist bigot rat. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to just sit in your cell and cry and write books, like that's fine. Yeah. And if you that's want more to run maps, plan, I got to admit. <laughs> <laughs> what you do right now in your daily life is just sit and write seven books a day. Yeah, so, yeah. So I'll just keep doing that. That's my plan. You would do just fine. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's okay just to be a normal human with feelings and it's also okay to organize your ass off. You can do both. And like, we yeah. wanted to show that, that like the heart doesn't die in prison. Neither does the revolutionary spirit. And there's not just one. It's not a cookie cutter sheet of how to be a prisoner. Yeah. And I, if I had known that I would have started very differently. Okay. I know I keep promising last question. What oh. would you have done differently to start with or to end to with? prepare? Like, let's say you knew you were going to jail. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And you, and you, and you're not you now where you've been to jail for 10 years. You're like, you're someone who is out on bail and thinks it's very likely that you're going to go to federal prison since that's what you have experience with. What would, I mean, what would you do? First things first, rob a bank. So you have money for commissary, uh, <laughs> put, put that money away, but no, like I would make sure I have funds going in. I yeah. find a way fundraise for yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. ask other people to fundraise for you because prison's expensive. This might not be the answer you expected, like the first thing to no. do. But the more you have going in, the less you have to be a burden to your community while you're there. Yeah. Um. And I, re I regret that. People had to do like crazy fundraisers for me because yeah. I didn't have shit. I'm a dirtball kid from the streets of Kansas City. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that's what I would do. I would also, and this might sound stupid too, I would start building relationships. I would let the people that I love around me know this is mm -hmm. what I need, but also what do you need? Like, what can mm -hmm. I do to ensure that we maintain this friendship or this love and this connection? Because people throw throw away relationships. They get in prison and think that the world stops, yeah. that their loved ones' lives stop. But like, just because we're inside doesn't mean that like we're not still an asset to the people we love. We still yeah. need to be there for them. Um, yeah, okay, uh-huh. That's important to me. And I, I wish I'd known that because I went through some selfish periods where like my world was the only world that mattered. Meanwhile, people have bills and depression and domestic abuse and shit like that. It's not yeah. all about these knives I'm carving in my cell all day. Yeah. Uh, I would also, I mean, real talk, I would probably learn how to make some weapons. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's I'm not joking. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, I remember having this conversation with someone years ago where, um, some people were considering whether or not jail was in our future or whatever. And I remember being like, oh, I think if I was about to go to jail, I would just like really focus on learning how to fight. Yes. And my friend was like, no, I would yes. really focus on meditation and cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, <laughs> for anyone who's not, uh, you can't see, uh, um, Eric King has presented a middle finger to the, the latter suggestion. Um, <laughs> Take that shit somewhere else, man. You're not going to a retreat. Yeah. Uh, and that's like, I'm joking, of course, but like, I mean, it's to not lose your mind, I think is the purpose. Yeah. There, so, but. I, real talk, I learned how to make mm -hmm. like plexiglass knives or learn how to carve steel using fingernail clippers or something because uh -huh. you may be in that opportunity where you need that and you don't want to be without it. You right. don't want to have to ask someone for that resource. Right. Uh, 
And so that sucks. We're not above that though. This is something where I failed. I thought I was above that. Mm-hmm. I'm above, I don't need to participate in that stuff. And then I'm getting my face kicked off. And I'm like, well, maybe I wish I'd known how to do that. Right. Uh, so learn how to fight for real. That's not stupid. Take MMA yeah. classes, not karate, but like mm-hmm. learn how to kick, punch, run. Uh, Cause like the whole, the whole point in prison, the only way you win in prison is if you leave prison. Yeah. If you die in prison, if these motherfuckers kill you, you, you lose. Like they got you. And I hate that. Um, yeah. And so do not let yourself be a victim. That's something I would tell myself. I would tell you, I would yeah. tell anyone never let yourself be a victim. Don't be above. Don't pull this whole, I'm a pacifist shit. When someone's coming mm-hmm. at you with a lock and a sock. Mm-hmm. Cause that lock doesn't care that you, that you study Dan Bergeron or whoever. They don't care that you're, mm-hmm. that you love animals. Berrigan. It's Dan Berrigan. Yeah. Thank you. The old yeah, Catholic. Yeah. 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 Great guy. Yeah. RIP. Um, yeah. But so we have to be real. Like if you yeah. try to meditate with a lion, it's going to eat you. Right. So fight the lion and then right. use your skills that you were practicing at home of calming yourself, centering yourself, meditating. You can do that as long as you're safe. Yeah. If you're safe, do that. And I would teach myself that like yoga and meditation are great. And please use yeah. them when you're safe in your cell or when you're at wreck and you don't have enemies. Right. But know how to protect yourself. The old timers right. would tell you that too. That's the first thing they tell you. You know how yeah. to fight? You know how to make a knife? Yeah. You have to. It makes sense. Be safe. Be yeah. safe always. Yeah. And if All I was right, a gay well, prisoner, well, mm-hmm. real quick, if yeah. I was a gay prisoner or a trans prisoner, I'm mm-hmm. fucking somebody up. All I'm right. going in there, uh, learn how to fight. I don't mm-hmm. care. I don't care how opposed to it or how, if you think you're weak, if you like physically weak, yeah. not mentally, but like, yeah. you've never worked out before. Work out, get yourself in shape, and the second someone calls you a name, fuck them, get them, yeah, hit them, hit them hard. The cops will break it up in twenty seconds. I guarantee it. Yeah, uh, fight even if you lose. Set that tone right away. I will not be disrespected for who I am. Yeah, it's dang. If you're going to low, it doesn't matter. But anywhere else, you have to set that tone. And I wish I'd done that earlier too, because people started thinking I was this soft anarchist kid. And it put yeah. me in problems where I had to fight more to defend myself later. Yeah. Protect now to be safe later. Sorry for rambling. No, no, it, it, it makes sense. And uh, we're just kind of out of time, but I'm going to probably have you on more to talk more about this stuff. Cause I think that, um, I don't know. There's so much more to talk. I could talk for another it. like seven hours. Yeah. <laughs> for real. Well, okay. So if folks want to check out, your work they can check out rattling the cages from ak press is there anyone else any other like group or anything you want to direct people towards so i we we're posting a lot of good stuff on instagram as well and Mm -hmm. twitter from support eric king um Mm -hmm. i uh i always tag my bosses z and erica um Mm -hmm. these people gave me a life here at bread and roses they gave me a career and that started with mutual aid it started with friendship Mm -hmm. um sandra freeman she's my civil lawyer that started from mutual aid and friendship and now we're fighting the system together and then always represent fire ant fire ant anarchist prisoners an anarchist journal out of maine and bloomington Mm -hmm. that's by anarchists for anarchists uh just really great people involved in that and thank you so much this is a real blessing real treat yeah thank you and i love my wife i love my wife for show yeah that's awesome that that'll be another thing we'll just do a whole thing on maintaining relationships in jail at some point it is so hard Um, but so worth it i i believe it 
Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this content, avoid going to jail, but help, but don't do it at the expense of your ethics. Don't avoid it so hard that you never do anything. And help people who are in jail and, uh, I don't know, do stuff. Uh you can also support this podcast by supporting Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, which is the publisher of this podcast. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. Don't feel that financial support is the only way to support us, but we do pay our audio engineer and our transcriber because that's the most thankless work involved in podcasting. And at some point we might pay the podcasters and our guests and that'll be a cool thing too. We send out zines every single month to our backers. And in particular, I want to thank Patoli, Eric, Percival, Buck, Julia, Catgut, Marm, Carson, Lord Harkin, Trickster, Princess Miranda, Ben Ben, Anonymous, Funder, Janice and Odell, Allie, Paparuna, Milica, Boise Mutual Aid, Theo, Hunter, SJ, Paige, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Starro, Jennifer, Kirk, Chris, Micaiah, and of course, we would never forget. Haas the dog, our longest standing patron backer, I think. And uh, I hope everyone is as well as you can with everything that's happening. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.